Hello, I'm Frank. And I'm Peter. You're listening to Drawn to the Flame. Yay! Hello. Hello. Hi, listener. It's uh, Drawn to the Flame episode, but the big difference here is that I can reach out and touch him. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time I get touched. Yeah, that's why I wanted to do our alternating intro, because it's really hard to do over the internet. <laughs> over the internet. <laughs> yeah. Been, been waiting on that. For five years. <laughs> you haven't had the courage the other that's two a, times yeah, that's you've right, recorded yeah. in person to say, can we do an alternating intro? So yeah, that's maybe more for us than the listener. Or maybe, maybe they'll love it. So <laughs> what are we talking about today, Peter? Well, we not too long ago finished the Edge of the Earth campaign together, which is it the first campaign we played through together? Start to finish? Start to finish, yeah. I think so. We've got a few hovering semi-finished campaigns <laughs> and we've done quite a few standalones together and, and, and multiplayer events yeah yeah but the first one we've actually sat down and done the whole thing yeah and we're both resigning from playing that's awesome it now. Done. <laughs> yeah another five-year goal the achieved. circle is complete yeah so we thought we'd dive in and talk a little bit about our i suppose sort of first impressions or impressions once the dust has settled about the campaign uh particularly because it's such a different style of campaign to anything we've seen before and if you've not yet played edge of the earth campaign we're going to talk in detail about all the twists and turns of it so at least what we experienced at least what we experienced yeah so consider yourself warned this is a no holds barred all spoilers are welcome kind of area so yeah if you haven't yet played maybe come back to this podcast when you have i think the other thing i was thinking is that we try at the end of a cycle to speak to Maxine yes and get her take on what she's done and sometimes I feel like we we end up shoehorning our takes into those episodes because we don't always talk ourselves about all of the scenarios yeah yeah this is a chance for us to first up Maxine let me tell you yeah exactly (laughs) here's what I enjoyed about that scenario so yes we're going to do some of that here instead so Peter what yes. memorable moments do you want to share? <laughs> you you wrote in our notes highlights and lowlights, but I was struggling to think of highlights necessarily, as in things our characters would perceive as being a highlight. Mm. But highlights from playing the game, I think there was quite a number, mm-hmm. and they probably tally to lowlights for our characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the more our characters suffered, the the, the better. If do, do we want to go specifics? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We can dive in with some specifics to start. Yeah, well, a particular highlight was Jack rolling all the way down a mountain. <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> it was that was a great turn of events uh, in to the Forbidden Peaks? Is it called? Yeah, that's right. We 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 got to a location from one away from the top. I think we were at, and yeah. then I pulled the avalanche treachery. You did, which is not an agility test. Have you got Have you got a copy there? I do. Yeah, ready. Just taunt me with it. Yeah, the level of your location is 1 to 4. Move to the location directly below you. Then test willpower X or X at the level of your location. Crucially, if you fail, repeat this process. <laughs> uh, yeah, so for some reason, a willpower test rather than agility test to avoid the snow. And it rolled me right the way down the entire mountain. To level 0. <laughs> to level 0. From level 4. I, like, I think I was the level below you when it hit as well. So you so just came shooting past you. Came you came past me. You were trying to sort of grit your teeth and face down the avalanche, but yeah. no, very quickly went careening down the hill. And I, I as Lily, had ended up carrying a lot of the equipment because Jack was doing most of the duty with getting clues. 
Yes. So I had this image of Lily just like slowly laboring <laughs> up the hill while Jack went sprinting ahead and then careening backwards down the hill. That was a great moment. That yeah. scenario was great altogether, actually. There was a, a real horrifying moment when uh, the terror pulled apart uh, our friend uh, Roald. Roald. Yeah. It told off my. Fr- I believe it's a Norwegian name, or mm. Scandinavian name. I'm playing with a Norwegian in my other group. <laughs> he tells me off every time I try and say Ro- Roald. Roald, I think it is. It's Roald, not Roald. It's not apparently so, yeah. Okay. So I, I, I was calling him Roald. Yeah, but, like Roald Dahl. Yeah, like Roald Dahl, exactly. Yeah. And in fact, he said to me, how do you say Roald, Roald Dahl? Roald Dahl. And I was like, I say Roald Dahl. And he's like, well, you're saying that wrong as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, schooled by Norwegian. Yeah. I think this is probably similar for lots of players. We realised early on that Roald is a great partner because there's so many treacheries that you want to blank and he's the one who can kind of deal with the treacherous weather along with Avery. He also gives you a, a, a bit of a boost into the, the, the following scenarios, doesn't he? Yeah, he's the Just one good. who goes and does scouting in the interludes and things like that. And so we had him with us and when the terror from the stars arrived into the Forbidden Peaks... It promptly tore him to pieces, which yes. was that was it was pretty shocking, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, at that point, he's the first one who died after the car crash. The, the car crash, the plane <laughs> the car crash. crash of the plane crash. Yeah. yeah, he's the first one who died, and and I had in my head that the plane crash was kind of the un, only unavoidable death that we get. Yeah, it just takes one out of the pool, so every playthrough is a bit different. Yeah, but then no, you hit this, and like. Technically, you could avoid it because it happens if you finish the scenario before you hit that. Is it on an act? Or it's an the bank of agenda one. Yeah, that's it. So if you are very, very fast, you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. But we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I don't imagine many people did, certainly not on a first play. I think it's the only one you can avoid. Right. Because there's an interlude in City of the Elder Things and in Heart of Madness that does a similar thing. But you just, I don't think you can go quickly enough through them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting it being, it because it's on an agenda, you mm. blame yourself for it happening. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's, yeah. it's impractically difficult yeah. to keep the person alive. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that I'm still getting my head around big picture about the campaign is how much was it necessary to include deaths of partners to really get you to invest in them as yeah. as players. It is a little bit like any horror program where you see the party getting killed off. That yeah, kind yeah. of heightens the stakes for everyone else. So you need to have some of these somewhat arbitrary moments of, oh no, we're down to eight. Oh no, we're down to seven. Yeah. But you don't want them to feel so arbitrary as to feel like you don't have any agency as a player. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think it, it walks that line well. And the other thing is that you're including them as abilities for you to use and relatively powerful abilities as well, mm-hmm. um, because we're, uh, you know, card game players, power gamers. Yeah, yeah. we like <laughs> we like having power to, powerful abilities and the ability to optimize. Yeah. So, sounds sounds silly, but losing those, you know, adds an element of loss to the person that's going. It, it, you attach attach a meaning to the characters because of that. Mm. There's not that much time to develop like an emotional connection with them. You at least have a mechanical connection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it hits you both ways, right? Because then in the interludes, if they've died, you can go and look at their stuff. 
Yeah. And of course, if you go and look at Elias' stuff. Oh, heartbreaking. It's just <laughs> and you the dog there, which is horrible. Yeah. There's a funny thing as well, isn't there, where because after the plane crash, all of them happen mid-scenario, there's this possibility that you have one yeah. in play that gets pulled out from before your eyes. That's particularly painful, I think. And yeah, adds a adds an extra wrinkle. I wonder if in the long term people will find that frustrating. I I feel like when I choose a partner, I always have that little tremble of worry. Are they going to die in mm. front of me? You know, particularly if you've got six safe, <laughs> yeah. but you've not chosen them. So, so yeah, that was, that's a couple of highlights. Have I got any other highlights? Mm. I think generally this is more our party. We, we picked investigators who could uh, really explode into flurries of action as mm. well. And there was quite a few times where, like, you took down the terror in a in a single turn in just mm-hmm. a flurry of punches and kicks and, and yeah. smacks with the dragon pole. Uh, and similarly, there was times when Monterey just swept around the board and scooped up six clues. And that felt like, it felt really good. It was good to feel competent in the things that we were trying to do. Mm. Yeah. I think the highlight for me of that would be City of the Elder Things. We had the... I mean, also amazing. There are three different scenarios based on your partners. So we had the pyramid one, which I think is B. Is it a a ziggurat where it's got the Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was, I loved that. A similar similar image, actually. Lily gently working her way through the ruins, picking Mm. off anything that looked too nasty. And Jack just turboing around and sprinting (laughs) and collecting keys. And it was perfect for the archaeologist being like, ah, this connects to this. Hang on, if we go here... Meanwhile, you can hear the rumbles of the dynamite I'm throwing yeah. around. <laughs> in the oh, that was the, the bloody penguin. Yeah, and of you course the giant albino <laughs> penguin that I was very keen to dynamite. While, while I was standing next to him. <laughs> yeah, the penguin had to go. Yeah, <laughs> Frank was in, insistent on, on saving me by throwing dynamite at me. So what? What I've talked about some of my highlights there. What about you? Yeah, uh, yeah the, the city of the elder things highlight and funnily enough i was going to mention the flurry of attacks for lily i think it was really fun to play a full campaign with lily and see the development Mm -hmm. and i did a quick tally of how much xp we got and going into the finale we had 42 xp yeah so i was just shy of all four disciplines yeah and then we finished on 53 xp so it feels like it's a pretty generous particularly as it's not eight scenarios it's sort of yeah chunks but yeah i mean that that was just amazing it's a game in itself of which disciplines to get and how to use them and how you to get you the most by the end didn't you i did because you unless i unless my count's wrong i definitely did going in oh we had in i had in the thing in the thick so of it yes. more so we yeah. were on 45 yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I, I remember you, on the nose yeah. yeah yeah i remember you would just you just because i asked if is it 45 or 46 is it beyond yeah that's right yeah, yeah. so we yeah we gained 42 but i had three already yeah so that, I think, was really fascinating. Now, I've mentioned a few times in recent episodes about not feeling like I did too much. I feel like that spring into action of Lily, of just, it's it's the agility, discipline, balance of body, where you can do three attack or evades. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool. It's just really fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and particularly yeah. as the way to get it back is not to have any enemies. Mm-hmm. So you really want to use like the five action turn you get with it to kill everything. Yeah. Because then hopefully the next turn you have a breather and it returns you regain your balance i think that's really fun in the campaign itself i think my other highlight was fatal mirage 
Yeah, yeah, I and, want to mention Fatal Mirage, actually. Okay, cool, yeah, what do you want to say? No, you go first. Just, I remember you being really excited by working out how it all fits together. And yes. The it feels like that's a real scenario that will reward lots of replays. Yeah. Partly because it's so story-rich. Yes. But also there's all these different paths within it. And depending on what's happened to you so far, it's different. Yeah. So... You know, the two chances are either that you go and make a partner resolute, which protects them for future, they can't die in any of the future interludes. Yes, yes. And they get better. Or you can go and visit the dead ones and get XP. Yeah. So it's a sort of a catch-up mechanic as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, that's sort of what I was going to say. It's an extra tool to optimise your party, which mm-hmm. I really like. Mm-hmm. I like that if you come into it with a bit of knowledge of how it's set up, you can... You can you can target the partners you're using or work well with your team, yeah, and and, and you know buff them up and protect them. I think the partner system in general. Do you mind if I talk about the partners? Please, yeah, yeah. I think that the the, the mo- one of the most interesting things about the partners is it allows your investigator to cover for an area then they're, they're not as good at. Mm-hmm. So it really gives solo players or even players who who haven't who haven't necessarily optimized the deck. It gives them like a second bite of the cherry in order to, to, to shore up a weakness they've got. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really powerful and it's a really thematic way of doing that. Yeah. Or really not powerful, like a clever way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was speaking to a friend who's just started Edge of the Earth and one of I said, oh, what do you think of the partners? And he said, oh, Takada, right? Yeah. That was, he's an experienced player and his immediate instinct on looking at the nine was like, wow. This one gives me three emergency caches yeah, on yeah. a stick. So it you could it depends what you're also bringing to, yeah. to it. You can say, oh, you know what? I might build a slightly resource generation light deck because I'm going for the Carter. Yeah. Or you might, uh, in my Daniela playthrough, I've been going for Amy Kensler a lot because you can get a plus four to your intellect yeah, three yeah. times. So yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that shoring up is really, really nice. And I really enjoyed we'd have them out in a little tableau of mm-hmm. like right who are we picking this scenario yeah uh we're doing pretty well for for damage and horror so let's not take the healing ones who does that leave like that it just feels like um a fun decision to make each yeah. scenario yeah yeah absolutely. and then as the pool is whittling down it makes you actually care about them yeah i think i've seen the team covenant guys do the same thing when they're for their playthrough they're like putting all of the partners out on the table yeah and then saying well we like this one what should we do <laughs> So yeah, I like that. I think it's cool. Yes. No, I'm I, I, a big, big fan of that system and just giving you something extra. The fact that it starts the game in play and it's extra soak as well. Yeah. All really, really good additions, I think. Mm-hmm. What I've seen in other plays, I mean, I know we're talking about ours, but I've been playing solo as well. What's also fascinating is if you really mess up a scenario, if, you're gonna, if you get defeated, your partner gets defeated too. Right. And they're dead. And they're dead. So there's no way of like noping out of a scenario, accepting that you're dead, but keeping but them keeping alive. Partner, yeah. So that's really fascinating that I had a couple of times where I messed up a scenario, most likely my own play, but probably a little bit of being a bit unlucky with enemies. Yeah. And at the end of Ice and Death Part 2, I'm staring down three dead partners. Yeah. Oh my and God. then <laughs> what three is the threshold for them being allowed to do Fatal Mirage straight away? Yeah. So you jump straight into that. 
So then not only do I jump, jump straight into that, I'm like, who's left of the six and who am I going to try and make sure is resolute? Yeah. Because yeah, I really yeah. need to pick one of these to keep safe. So for our play, we did Amy, Takada. We went for them first and then we had time to do a third. And we went for Marla. That's right, yes, the Marla. Doctor, yeah, just yeah, partly because yeah. of what we'd opened up. And yeah, I think I remember your your face when you realised, like, oh, okay, if we follow this thread of memories, yeah, it's like, ah, like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> we spent about 10 minutes later setting it all up. Yeah. Does it stay set up? Do you, do you start again from scratch when you... You record memories recovered and memories banished. Right, okay. In the campaign. So we only did it once, didn't we? We only did it once, yeah. So then when you play again, the memories that you've recovered stay in play. Yeah, yeah. And you remove clues from the locations based on the number of mirages you've already completed. Yeah. So that you can't essentially replay it, use the low shroud locations to get all the clues to do the hard bits. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So there's... This probably is onto this other thing that I'm still getting my head around, which is how many different paths through this campaign there are. It, I was going to say how branching it is, but it's not branching. No. It's quite linear. Yeah. But you could have a playthrough where you do Ice and Death 1, skip 2 and 3. Yeah. Go straight to Fatal Mirage. Yes. Go to uh, then do Forbidden Peaks, Fatal Mirage again. Yeah. <laughs> City of the Elder Things, Fatal Mirage a third time. Mm-hmm. Skip Heart of the of Darkness one and do Heart of Darkness two. Yeah, and my quick count is that that's seven scenarios. Yeah, and I think you could have done ten as well because if you've done Ice and Death one and uh, two and three and Heart of Darkness, so it gives you like quite a lot of options for how you proceed through it, but not just option. It itself has options, I suppose. It's not yeah. it's not necessarily the choice, because it didn't feel like we were having to make lots of choices about what we played. We kind of progressed through, oh, we've done this bit now. We've done yeah, this bit yeah, now. yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd also say, this is a bit tangential to what you just said, mm. it it very much feels like the, the, the scenarios are driven by what's going to happen in the plot next, rather than some other Arkham campaigns where it mm. feels like there's a cool idea for a scenario and the plot is steered towards making that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we touched on this. We were talking about this last night as well, actually. Yeah. But the, 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 it feels like a firm arc for what's going to happen is planned and then the scenarios have been slotted into that rather mm-hmm. than, than anything else. As in, we're going to crash, you're going to have to go over the mountains, you're going to see the city, you're going to deal with something underneath it. Yes. What scenarios can we play in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like you're in a museum and then you're on a train. Yeah. And then you're in a village. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, and then you're climbing up a hill and then you're in an alternate world. It's not It's not like... it. it I guess... I don't even want to say you lose variety because of, because of that. It's not mm. like every scenario is a trek through the, the wilderness. Mm. Although it does use the same map to really reinforce that feeling of exploring a vast space mm. in, in a kind of quite compelling way. I don't know. I just I think it, it really works well. It, they they all still feel unique and like different scenarios, mm. but I think it gives a much more cohesive feel, feel to the story. Yeah, yeah. You're getting four Antarctic experiences rather than pack five. Let's do something random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or we've got space to. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think because the constraints on the scenarios have been removed about how big or small they can be because it's not having to cut them into eight more or less identical sizes. Yeah. That really 
what well, I said this all along. Then sorry to interrupt you. Go on. I'm not that sorry to interrupt you. No, dive in. The, um, the 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 distribution has been driving the the, the narrative, the design. format, and yeah. the narrative, <laughs> yeah. rather than vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Which is a real shame when we see how well structured this campaign is. Mm-hmm. Full it's stop. Another thing I said last night. Imagine if you could go back to the Forgotten Age, and Heart of the Elders could be like Ice and Death. So rather than it being two scenarios shoehorned into a single pack, yeah. if you could have a more expansive jungle pack where you're revisiting it and trying to find some of the places from yes. Untamed Wilds, or maybe, you know, depending on the ruins you've got in Untamed Wilds, that leads you to the six pillars. Yes. And no, then similarly, 100%. the first experience of going into the cave, yeah. if you could have that amazing feeling of like, oh my goodness, this is huge under here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, imagine if, if you set up the, the, the jungle... And then you just set up the cave directly below the jungle. Yeah. yeah. Like, it would have that feeling of, we've talked about the mountain in the past, but that feeling of finding a vast space underneath where you are. Yeah. I think that would be so cool if, if that happened. Yeah. That it's a bit like in, in the Guardians of the Abyss, where you've got like the, the town and then the, going into the, going into the yeah. desert. That, yeah. That's got a really cool feeling as well. Mm. Or even actually the second part where you're in the desert again and then you go through the gateway and yeah. you're like in a completely different world. You're in the in the dreamlands or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So I, yeah, yeah, there's I, definitely I, I, something about like the scenarios have burst the bounds of what they need to be like. Yeah. And similarly, I think that's why you can have the freedom to have City of the Elder Things have well, three different setups. Yeah, and you look at the size of Sorry, Frank was cutting out the noise of me riffling the campaign. <laughs> but you look at the size of City of the Elder Things. Like, I can't think of many scenarios, other scenarios outside of this this pack that have this many locations. Some like the end of Zerkundun, you've got before, before the Black Throne, <laughs> which has a load of pseudo locations. So it, it, it there's still a lot of places to move through. But like, what have we got? One, two, three, four, five, six. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 separate locations. In Ice and Death, you've got the centre and four, and then you've got a ring of six, so that's ten. Yeah. And then another three, so that's 13 locations, similarly, that yeah. you're finding. Again, what I love about it, you sort of find it organically, which mm-hmm. way do we want to go? Yeah. Each playthrough, in theory, you could be like, oh, wait, hang on, the Crystalline Cavern, I didn't even... I didn't even put that location into play, let alone explore it. Yeah, so. yeah. And I, I think there's there's maybe more of a consistency with the encounter packs, mm-hmm. even while there's a large number of locations. Mm-hmm. But I think that plays to the feeling of exploring one particular place. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, what you're finding, the locations you're finding are changing, but the kind of hazards you've got to deal with like the mirages and uh, snowstorms and blizzards and then mm. possessed people. Yeah. <laughs> That's not necessarily changing that much. Yeah, yeah. It'll be really interesting to see when the dust or the snow settles for Edge of the Earth, whether people will look back and enjoy the consistency or whether they'll miss the kind of... Wackiness. The more out there where it's like, oh, this scenario has zoogs, but pretty much none of the rest of the campaign does. Or... Uh-huh. Oh, look, this is the spider scenario. I don't know why I'm thinking of Dream Eaters here. Because I suppose Innsmouth, Innsmouth knocks on that door in terms of consistency with its more or less deep ones. Yes. That's more or less going to always be the baddie in some way. 
maybe some hybrids and cultists, but mostly deep ones. And you do have Personally, quite. Ex- I like it. You feel, yeah. yeah. So. You have expansive scenarios in in Innsmouth as well, mm-hmm. so you get more variety through the locations than necessarily through the other stuff. Yeah. Which I, I again, I'd like it as well. I really like Innsmouth. It's crazy actually to think back to Dunwich and at that point. Things like be, um, Blood on the Altar and Undimensioned Unseen were big maps. And yeah. They each have like six locations in them. Yeah. So, yeah. And now Under 10 is a small map, I'd say. You get a couple of broods in Undimensioned and, and, Undimensioned and Unseen, and suddenly that map feels very small. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're only a, really a couple of locations away from any other location. Yeah. But this, like, you, it's, you know yeah, what might be expansive. worth a revisit? Yes. This is super tangent. Lure. Ah. Because the reason I thought of it was because I remember trying to use Lure in Undimension Unseen. I think it had come out in that pack or something like that. And the map is so small, it's almost impossible to place a Lure where it helps you because it normally will only move the brood more or less one place away from you. Yeah. It's not even the broods that it affects. It affects the other hunters, the avian thrall and the lupine thrall. Yeah. The map is so tiny that you're normally buying yourself a turn. Yeah. Whereas if your map was actually a little bit larger, like stick it City at, the Elder yeah, Things. Yeah, stick it at the entrance and then move off. Yeah, and an enemy hunting one the wrong way might mean they could never catch you for the rest of the scenario. Yeah. Because you've got so much ground to cover. I don't know, I need to reread Lyra and think about it, but there's a potential for anything... It's not movement tech, it's movement adjacent. It's all of the, like, manipulate enemies, bait and switch... When your map is bigger, there's actually more room to play with for pushing things around. Yeah. Something to check out. Yeah. yeah I suppose, so I suppose what I wanted to say is like the fact that the scenarios don't follow that eight scenario formula is really refreshing. It's really nice at this point. I would, wouldn't be surprised. That, I think I've seen a couple of people say that we might end up considering this the Dunwich of the kind of second style second wave of arkham you know yeah and as you pointed out the story itself is pretty linear it's all in one setting yeah you can choose a little bit do you do ice and death parts two and three how many times you're going to do fatal mirage but beyond that you're pretty much on train track still mm-hmm. and certainly maxine has hinted ha- wait and see what's coming next like, yeah <laughs> this was us just playing in the sand pit of this new design model for the first time, but they'll, they'll have learned lessons and be able to push it even more. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, that's it. That's interesting because that's being able to fit the game. You can really fit what you want into the big space rather than having it chopped up mm-hmm. in the same way. Yeah, I think that that's really really crucial. And yeah, I'm really excited to see how they they, they go next. Mm-hmm. They could give us, you know, we had that choice at the beginning of Dunwich. Do you go to the club or do you go to the university? What if there's four choices instead? Yeah. Or five choices or six choices. Mm-hmm. And then they all get progressively more difficult depending on how many you've done previously. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you talk to your friend, which did you go to first? How many did you visit? That kind of thing. So they've really got the potential to do like globe trotting adventures. Yeah. And they've got the, the potential to do things where you, you miss out big chunks of it if you want to. Yeah. So that's the thing they're free to do, right? Yes. If you go to... don't want to buy a pack and then not be able to use it. Yeah. (laughs) You can have reset your wheels in motion. Even if you say you have to play three of those first four, Mm -hmm. but you're always going to miss one on any playthrough, that doesn't hurt if you're getting it all in one go and you're having to make 
meaningful choices, I suppose. Yeah. And it's almost a shame that Dream Eaters was in the old model, not in this model, because it would have been structured totally differently, I feel, if mm. that was the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It had to have this kind of A, B, A, B patterning yeah. because it was deluxe and then six packs and yeah it wouldn't need that and and the, what Think i said about before about, yeah well yeah exactly <laughs> and what i said before about how you know you, you jump between places in in the dreaming side of that campaign like you're on a boat sailing around looking at islands and then you're on the moon yeah <laughs> and you know it, it it doesn't it that has so little consistency between the scenarios in it. Yeah, yeah. And the story then has to do a lot of the heavy lifting of you've sailed to the moon now. Nothing you do in Search for Kadath necessarily says all signs point to the moon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine you could even have where you play one of these starting four scenarios mm-hmm. and you shuffle in at random, say, two or three locations chosen from, chosen from a pile of six yeah and depending what's on those locations would tell you which scenario to play next yeah so that's like, really cool as well you yeah can, you can bust into a mob office or whatever it is and if you pass the test it tells you it's got information of where their warehouse is say or it's the safe is empty so that lead is dried up mm-hmm. and you've got to find the right one you could a, a little bit like um black stars rise right yeah you don't know where the outcome is necessarily and, but more than that, it could have a massive impact on this is the next scenario we're going to play because we found X or Y. So yeah, I think I think there's so much potential in the model. I think that's why I'm really hopeful at the end of this that I've really enjoyed playing this campaign, but it also feels like a real hint of what's to come. Yeah, which is yeah, exciting. yeah, I agree with you, yeah. We've kind of gone way bigger picture than Edge of the Earth. Yes. Is the, you've sort of touched on the story... Yeah, I guess that you've written theme down next to story. And mm-hmm. I think it captures exploration very well. Mm-hmm. I really feel like in a lot of scenarios, we're exploring an unknown place. Mm-hmm. And the, the randomness of some of the maps will help that. And the alternate map layouts will help that on replays as well. Mm-hmm. I'll be keen to see how my next playthroughs go of those, this City of the Elder Things. Yeah. And, um, well, City of the Elder Things in particular, really. Poor Ben has played it three times I've now and same, always had the same yeah, one. <laughs> he said yesterday. So, so yeah, th- that's interesting. I guess the thing I didn't feel, which would be, which would be nice to have incorporated, sort of, is a feel of depletion of your resources as you as you get further from your camp and you get more into kind of enemy territory. Mm-hmm. So the you don't start with the supplies, but you pick up supplies of the first three scenarios. Mm-hmm up to three scenarios, but then they stick with you for the rest of the campaign. If you carry them up the hill. If yeah. you carry them up the hill. But there's there's no, like, we're not running out of, of things. Mm. And we're not running out of resources. Which I think is something they managed to pull off well in uh, The Forgotten Age. Mm. There's a real sense of your, your reserve of stamina. Provisions, gas. Supplies are being whittled down. And, you know, I guess maybe it's as simple as they didn't want to exactly replicate that system. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, you, but do you agree with me that, you, yeah. in, that in that campaign you definitely feel like yeah. as you're progressing... <laughs> yeah, you're scratching things off, yeah. yeah. And you end up with that campaign log where there's loads of things crossed out. You started so well provisioned and by the end you're yeah. empty. 
And and conversely, because we got quite a bit of experience, it felt like we grew quite a bit in power along with upgrading the partners mm-hmm. and getting more supplies as we went through. So we kind of felt better prepared by the last scenario mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. we did in, in the earlier ones. And I it wonder led- if the scope for, for instance, forcing you to deal damage and horror to par- surviving partners later on mm-hmm. to add to like a feeling of people are going hungry or people I can imagine they might have avoided that because if you've got all your partners on one damage and horror left and then you suddenly have to kill one off yeah that would feel too grim I mean this would be a lot of bookkeeping but if you were tracking when you use the supplies on your your supplies uh, or yeah. maybe they were drawing from a shared pool like you had 20 uses yeah and every time you use one that goes down yeah. by one your dynamite is now running out yeah, yeah. Or if you use a dynamite, it means you can't use the radio later on. Mm-hmm. would be a bit artificial, but it would kind of replicate that feeling of mm-hmm. of using up what you've got or, or trying to consider carefully where you use it. Yeah. There's something that's pretty intriguing anyway about the supplies, which is they're not an explicit stated goal of ice and death. Mm. They're there. They're, I think ACT says gather as many supplies as you can. But it doesn't say objective, do that. It says find a place to shelter and gather what you can from the wreckage. Yeah. And you cottoned on to quite quickly of like, okay, we should probably do all of these things. Yeah, yeah. And similarly, the act for To the Forbidden Peaks says carrying as much gear as you can, make it to the top of the mountain or something to that effect. Yeah. Again, it doesn't say objective, pick up all the supplies and take them to the top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in theory, and in some of my solo plays, this has happened. I get the spare parts from the starting location and then didn't have time to do anything else. Yeah. Or found, you know, took one of the more difficult tests and failed it and thought, I can't afford to try that again. So then you start to forbid peaks with one supply. Yeah. <laughs> you lug that up the <laughs> hill quickly. It's a very different feeling. But it doesn't... I guess if they punished me for that... And I had to lose a supply every scenario after that. Mm-hmm. That would feel really nasty to not have realised early on, oh, I was meant to have put loads of effort into this optional goal. Yeah. It's a tricky balancing act, I think, for that one. But I totally get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, so so I guess that's it. I, I, the, the, the other theme that felt it didn't come across in our playthrough, really, was this the idea of the possession and distrust of other people in your party, mm. which it, it doesn't really pay, play with trust and distrust much. You just get, some people get possessed. They see a mirage and it, it, it takes them over and then you can kind of snap them out of it. Yeah. So you're not like, well, oh, what's this person doing? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not second guessing anyone's motives. And that's fine. It's just, it, it, some of the treacheries seemed like, hinted like that was going to be something that happened, but it wasn't. Mm, yeah, it didn't go fully the thing. Yes, who's who's actually the enemy? Yes, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you on that. I think that's a bold move by the designers to do the antagonist being a nameless, formless, mirage-like entity that <laughs> yeah. is very hard to define. Yeah, because there are some of the partner deaths that are someone looks at the mirage, boom. And then, you know, there's blood dripping from their eyes uh, yeah, and they're yeah. dro- drooling at the mouth and they're done. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah, it's a hard thing to combat. It's yeah. It's obviously further away from the pulp side of the mythos where you could shoot a shotgun into that yeah. mirage and deal with it. 
I wonder what people... So so I enjoy it, but I, I do also wonder what people felt about... Well, you, you kind of hinted at this earlier, so I should have mentioned this then. Mm. People losing partners and not feeling like they had much agency in that decision. Mm. So check your campaign log. If this person is still alive, then this other partner doesn't die. But then again, that first partner died in a plane crash and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It feels a little bit for me like they've only scratched the surface in the design with how, you know, you can work out who are the pairs more or less. Yeah. But there could be a lot more, I think. But already just the size of the campaign log, there's so much text. And I think they've done a good job of at least establishing those relationships. Yeah. But yeah, to how those interactions would work. I guess what you could do is try and use the mirage, your time in the mirage, to protect... The pairs. pairs. Yeah, yeah. Which we kind of did with Amy and Mala. Well, yes, we did. Although we were primarily motivated by the, the cards we were using the most, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Having a fast healing on... It goes from an action to heal two to fast. Yes. And we both had two physical trauma, so... And also keeping Amy alive seemed good as well, because she seemed yeah. to be the only one who had a chance of figuring out what was <laughs> happening. Who knew what we were doing. <laughs> I'd say on that... I'd say on the randomness of partner death and that sort of thing... It is telegraphed really clearly to the player. You read the prologue, you introduce yourself to all nine, yeah, and then you pick one who dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so. In case one. you're not sure, it's not that you get halfway through the campaign, think, putting lots of effort into protecting them, and then that starts happening. Page, yeah. page one, it happens before you even set up your investigator. One of them dies, and you'll love this. That for us in our prologue, we convinced Dyer to allow the expedition. That's right. Yes. Yes. Guess who died in the plane crash? <laughs> Poor Professor William Dyer. I know, I know. He tried to warn us. Yeah. <laughs> I think, for me, Dyer dying in the crash or Amy dying in the crash are the ones that feel the worst because they're either the person that you said, no, we should definitely go. Yeah. I know you're dead. Or the one who's like, I'll lead the way. Oh, no, she's dead. <laughs> or Danforth, potentially. Yeah. Dyer's like, oh, I told them not to go. Look what's happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sort of works both ways. I just want to go back to what you said about possession. What did you make of Tequili Lee? Oh, that's quite good. I like that. Mm-hmm. Or Tequilili. Tequilili. Like mini mini treacheries, aren't they? Mm. They, feel like, they feel like half a treachery. Because mm-hmm. it's one of a thing you lose. An action, an, an item, an horror, an damage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and clue on your location. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible, that one. Yeah, what have you got there? Have you got a... I've grabbed a, the treachery nightmarish vapors, which is the oh, peril yeah. revelation. You must either lose two actions or take two. Yeah, yeah. I remember this prompting some good discussion between us because at first it definitely felt like we'll just take two. Yeah, like losing the action. They're they're not two actions to clear. Yeah, they're like you say, sort of half treacheries each. But then there were times when we were getting quite clogged up with Tequila Lee cards. They really pack your deck out, don't they? Yeah. Plus, you've got the supplies in there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We both had sort of 40-plus card decks yeah. by the end. Absolutely wild. What's that other treachery where you draw it, and then you, but you put it in your deck instead? Speak the unglimpsable. <laughs> yeah. Draw the top card of the Tekalili deck and resolve it. Shuffle it into any, any investigator's deck. Peril as well, so you can't discuss yeah. it. <laughs> you can just pick someone instead of placing it on the bottom of the deck. That's, that's so brutal, that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
There's that one, and then there's finally. Uh, but but the there's one. Uh, yeah, and there's one that resolves them twice, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. So it's like this. This turns into four if you've got that, and that was is that a willpower test to get rid of it? Yeah. So yeah. Blasphemous vision. Shuffle the top card of the Tequila Lee deck into your deck without looking at it. Then put it into play in your threat area. Resolve the effects of each Tequila Lee weakness you draw an additional time. Ah, oh, yeah, brutal. Because that's a willpower test to get rid of. So I wasn't getting rid of that. Yeah. Actually, that does remind me of another highlight for Go the on. campaign. When we were trying to run away from the nightmarish spawn behind us, mm-hmm. right at the end, the finale, this is us desperately trying to get out up of the, the Cyclopean ramp. Up the, cy- the Cyclopean ramp. <laughs> and Jack had two frozen in fear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a good time for the archaeologist <laughs> to start getting scared. Yeah. And I had what? I had willpower four by then. I had the willpower discipline. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was just, what, frozen in fear? It's not even a test. I know, I know. You can't. There's nothing to do. I was just looking for icons for you. Yeah. I had to do, like, save up my whole turn. You were doing field working. So you do, like, one action to move three times. Like, three three actions to move move once. And then double field field work (laughs) to get plus four (laughs) to try and get rid of a frozen in fear. Yeah. Great turn. (laughs) Yeah. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. So I really like that with this design, you can have the Tequila Lee deck and it be a thing across all of the scenarios. And I really like the cards that we were just shouting out, how they can then add all these different wrinkles of interacting with them. Yeah. It feels like it's a more fleshed out bit of design than maybe we would have had in the previous model. I know we keep harking back to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have a one-off scenario, I think, that introduces a 16-card deck and then the cards that play off it yeah what was it amber autumn she described for the player card saying that it was like a complete environment or a fully fully yeah, fleshed I, out I can't how she phrased yeah it, it was she, a useful yeah. i want to find that yeah. phrasing and it was useful it's a similar thing i think with tequila lee like the cards themselves are pretty straightforward most of them i thought were inconsequential although obviously if you're a skewed stat line investigator you might be more scared of one type than another yeah and of course that like the asset sniping and the action sniping ones are the two really potentially dangerous ones. Yeah. But then it's the other cards that make them fun. Yeah. Yeah. Glimpse the unspeakable in larger groups is really, it's a nice decision. I mean, so again, I've just drawn the damage treachery. You're our big damage guy. I'm going to put that in your deck all day. Yeah. Long. Yeah. <laughs> but we've had in my three player group a couple of times where it's like, ooh, you know. So-and-so normally has spare action, so they can take this action loss one unless they're fighting, in which case they really can't afford to lose actions. So you have these like little give them difficult all, decisions. Give them all to the guy holding the crystal. That's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crystal's good fun. And I like that. That, I suppose, is another element where one thing that kind of works well for me is that which partners you care about changes over the course of the campaign based on things like Keely Lee on Frost. Yeah. You know, you, Amy, Cookie, and Alaya giving you a five in a stat. Mm-hmm. They're probably always somewhat generally useful depending on who you're playing. Yeah. The card is giving you resources. But then if you're getting to Keely lead out, suddenly you're like, damn forth, come with me. This scenario. <laughs> like you can do a lot of work. So I think that's, I think that's nice how that develops and you might start caring about one more than another. And yeah, Frost is a similar thing, isn't it? Of, suddenly Avery becomes really important to stop those. Yeah, yeah. What did you make of Frost? Oh, that's... Uh, we've already touched on it, haven't we? We were quite good at keeping Frost down, I think. Mm-hmm. We 
we had ze- we had zero frost in the bag oh, at one, one point. point. Yeah. yeah. No, I it was I don't think it really impacted us too much. I could see how it would. I think we both picked up that a lot of frost in the bag would make things very difficult. Mm-hmm. And we prioritized anything that allowed us to remove it and also avoided things that would cause us to add it. Mm-hmm. So speaking yeah. to Avery in interludes, we realized was good and he was alive all the way through for us. There's a few options where you can just be like, put a frost in the bag to do something. Mm-hmm. We always thought very carefully about those. Yeah. Or, you know, fail a test and add a frost to the bag or something like that. Yeah. Is there one which is like, you add a frost for everyone you fail by or something like that? I think that's a horror for everyone you fail by or just add a frost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you maybe get three choices. Is it like drop a clue, take a yeah. horror or add a frost yeah, or something? Yeah, drop two clues. But yeah. you can't mix and match either. Yeah. And it's... The shelter it's, value. Yeah, it's, yeah. Is it Phantasmagoria or something like that? I can't quite remember. Yeah. So it can be difficulty one. And yeah. so that's going to be one horror, but it could also be difficulty eight. I think... Yeah, eight. I think we we failed by six or seven at one point when uh, when I was playing with, with another group. And even though it's peril, there was some very stern looks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, flying across the table. Pushing the limits of peril. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yeah, I can see that. The other thing I'd note, and this is just like a quirk from replaying, if you camp at the Crystalline Cavern at Shelter 8 mm-hmm. and haven't lost a partner at that point apart from the plane crash, so you've got eight left, partners are saved based on your shelter value. Yes. And any leftover go missing. Yeah. So if you do Shelter 8, no, no one, one goes, goes missing, missing. Yeah. which means you can't do Ice and Death Part 2. And that has all the leads that you follow in the snow. And two of them are removed frost from the bag. Oh, that's and interesting. And that's what we we camped at a shelter seven. Yeah, that's right. We did remnants of lakes camp. Yeah, which meant we played Ice of Death two, and we got both of the little story cards that are removed frost from the bag. Oh, so that like really tidied up our bag. Yeah, I'd forgotten. And about I've that. noticed that now in my in my solo plays, I've been gunning for Crystalline Cavern because yeah. it's eight XP. It's you know high shelter value, but it means you always skip. Ice and Death 2. Ice and Death 2 has barely any XP in it. Yeah. I think it has one. It has an XP for each partner you rescue. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes up for any that you missed in the first. Yeah. So if you camp at Shelter 6, two will go missing. You can go and rescue them and get two more XP. Six plus two is eight. Yeah. You can work out the same. Yeah. So it's there's no reason ever to go for it just for like XP hunting. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a reason if you wanted to do like some... Because the other thing it can do is remove tequila lee from it. There are some that say, like, search the top, yeah. remove every tequila lee in the top nine cards in your yeah, deck and yeah, things yeah, like that. Yeah, which is nice. So it's a fascinating, I suppose it is a catch-up scenario. And the other thing you can use is then to open up the map and go hunting for the supplies. Yeah. I think that's nicely designed where it's it doesn't telegraph itself to you as a use this to tidy everything up. But it's a really useful scenario to do where maybe you've got half the map open. So you go and open the other half, you get the surprise there, you get a couple of frost out of the bag, you're yeah. really nicely set up for fighting in the next one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's just a, a smaller thought, I guess. Weirdly, I guess Crystal seems to be defence against the mythos in this, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Crystal and Cavern being the safest place and the miasmic crystal offering defence against Tikili Lee. Mm. Because as we know... The opposite of mirage is crystal. crystal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very hard and thin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, 
I just in mentioning that, I was then thinking about how much fun Ice and Death 3 is, where you have a pile of Eidolons who are making... Make, do you remember it's yeah. every two turns with the Doom and they're making beelines towards your camp and you yeah. have to go and kill the source? Yeah, yeah. That's nice design as well. That's good fun, yeah. To have, like, explore scenario, rescue scenario, and then combat. Power defense scenario. Yeah. <laughs> as a trio all on the same map. Yeah, yeah. Super fun. Well, we've talked quite a lot here. We've covered quite a lot of ground, like we did as we travelled Antarctica. Yes, yes. What did you make of... I mean, I suppose we've touched a bit on the story, or or rather the story itself doesn't have too many twists and turns that we need to outline. Yeah. What did you think of the finale, the ending, and the big reveal of who the Great Old One was? In that it, were, it, it was... A, Big mirageous blob. Yeah, <laughs> the, the elder things had kind of decided to contain underground. Yeah, and lock it was breaking it out of its yeah, lock it up refrigerator. And then, and then GTFO. All I said to you as we were doing it, it seemed like they didn't do a very good job because we spent ten minutes there and we'd, <laughs> we'd nearly sealed it back up. Yeah, and they've there's been it's been there for thousands of years. Mm. So a little bit more time. We've got there a little bit earlier. <laughs> we've all we been done fine. a good job. That's actually reminding me. I'm, the spokes of the wheel oh, yeah. is really lovely design as yeah, well as a final that. map. That's cool as well. You can feel very far away from someone, but actually be only a couple of locations yeah. away. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. That was when we were really powered up and we had a lot of fun. Like, I was using Fang, fang of Tethrithra yeah. and just teleporting across the map and stabbing things. And you were just full Jack. Makes me want to... I've got, my friend is playing Ursula in this campaign and I'm going to encourage him to take... Otherworldly compass and hemispheric map. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> for some for some really tasty boosts. Mm. Yeah, no, I like that scenario. I think the finale. I like that that kind of it's like the uh, Doom of the Etsley, isn't it? Escaping from the the crumbling temple, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones style. Mm. I did like that. It's nice not to just fight a, a big lad at the end. Yeah, and stand over its dead body. That said, that the old one fights in more recent campaigns have all been pretty uh, innovative, yeah. unusual. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Dagon and Hydra were, are a bit standard, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly like um, Atlach, Atlach, <laughs> Atlach, Atlach yeah, and Nialathahotep. But yeah, anyway, they feel like. Mm-hmm. They feel quite fun to do that like yeah. puzzles, mm-hmm. but it's probably quite exhausting to kind of come up with a different yeah, one like that every time. single time. There's there's something very satisfying about setting aside fifteen, yeah, nameless spawn or are they called nameless spawn, nameless somethings, entity, monstrosity, the nameless madness, madness. There we go. <laughs> one eye fight, one eye evade, alert, massive retaliate. You're like, oh, that's not too bad. Like in solo, when I first saw this, I was like, a one one, yeah. that's fine. It's the fact that there are 15 of them. Yes. That's scary. And also it becomes a four. I don't know how we're going to do that in my four-player campaign. A four It's pretty four. nasty. Like, you've got to be ready as the fighter to be dishing out. A and big hit of damage. And what's fascinating, of course, is for each point of damage you do, you evade one. Yeah. So it justifies running your Cyclopean Hammer or your... Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer to just start just wading out the hurt. Daniela standing in one place just... Die, Mirage! Die! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I like that a lot. I guess let's let's end on 
just a, a lovely detail. Mm-hmm. Can you remember what happens if two if investigators hold two activated seals at the same location? Oh, yeah, you, you, you end all of creation or something. What's it? You end. <laughs> it's like don't cross the streams, isn't it? Forced. If two or more activated seals are controlled by investigators at the same location, the latent energy stored within the seals fuses together and the ensuing chain reaction sets off an electrostatic detonation that destroys all life on Earth. Yeah. Resolution 3. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to trying to get that resolution one day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, people who don't pay attention as you're reading out the, the act, <laughs> act card to them. <laughs> oh, I'll just run over to you and heal you. Don't worry. No, no. <laughs> Cool. Well, we'd love to hear from you as well, listener. What have you liked or not liked about Edge of the Earth? Has there been a thing that really sticks in your mind? Sticks in your craw? Mind or craw? Mind or craw, yeah. Good or bad. And yeah, you can get in touch with us. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook, Twitter, Designed by Humans, Patreon. If you want to become a patron, we've got a lovely Discord where you can come and chat about this, about what decks you're building, about all things Arkham, or also Elden Ring. Yes, yeah, it's <laughs> a thriving Elden Ring channel on the server now. And yeah, I would say as well that we're both going to be pretty busy March, April. So yes. we'll we'll be we've got lots of things we want to record, but things might be a little bit disrupted with our regular programming. So please bear with us for that. And I'll try and put a post up for patrons explaining what's going on when I get half a minute. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I'm United Everywhere, U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter and Reddit and Discord and Instagram is D.United. And I have recently started another podcast, a competing podcast. It's not competing. Com- <laughs> <laughs> it's news to me that it was competing. <laughs> Called. This is when you do your call. All patrons, cancel your Drawn to the Flame patronage. <laughs> And start supporting Drawn to the Soup. <laughs> it's not called Drawn to the Soup. Are you having to look up the name of your own podcast? No, 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 no. I'm looking at the Twitter handle, so I remember. Should I, should I go back to United? Oh, yes, this I is will. staying in. <laughs> you put this in the bloopers. I have recently started doing uh, a horror film podcast with a, with a friend, Ali or Shanadin, and that's called the D- uh, Done to Death. Also, Ali is a relative horror newbie. I'm more experience with horror so we watch a couple of films every week and then talk words out of our mouths about them and you can find us around the place as done to death and on uh, twitter as at done to death cast and ali's done a lovely (laughs) i love the logo it's very um kind of early noughties emo (laughs) (laughs) Uh, how about you frank yeah i'm on twitter as fb eph underscore bee and I'm around the place as Zooey Glass and Zozo. Come say hi. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. No, it can't be R3, can it? Oh, is it the previous scenario? No, sorry. I mean, uh, yeah, part of is part two. I think it's part one. Ah, uh, Yeah, here it is, yeah. The pulse of energy induced by your catastrophic mistake wipes out, wipes all organic life from the face of the earth.
notes. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> in your campaign log record, the seal was used improperly. Each investigator is killed. The investigators lose the campaign. A bullet point oops is a lovely little flourish. I love it. That's how love you ended it. your campaign. Yeah.